Well, let me ask a question to start off today. Why would anybody be part of a church? Why would we be part of a church? What are the things that we get? What are some of the reasons that you got out of bed and came here today? Somebody tell me some reason. I heard community. Family. One or two more. Not learn. Support, okay, all wonderful reasons why we would, we would come together. Those are all 100% true. Learning, working together to do good things, um, friendships. Those are all reasons we come together. But I want us to think about something about 2,000 years of church history, why God has done it the way he has. That maybe the most important or the top very important reason why a person would be part of a church is so that we'd come together week after week, week after week, week after week, and we would be shaped by what's true. We'd be molded and shaped by God by what's true. You see, Jesus says something about himself. Jesus says that he is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the historical reason that the church exists is to keep telling the truth about who Jesus is, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is, who God is, and what implications that has in our life. To just keep telling the truth and be formed by that. We want to see, we want to come to know through that experience, week after week and year after year, the real Jesus. And the reason I say that today that way and I'm starting this way is I think we have in our culture today a lot of false ideas about Jesus, about God. I think we have a lot of false ideas about God. You know, some people believe he's just a big Santa Claus in heaven. Some people believe he's a guy with a big stick looking to hit people if they do something wrong. All kinds of misideas, wrong ideas about God. So the church's goal is to keep gathering us together and keep telling the truth. You know why? Because if we have a false idea, what is it if you have a, would have a false idea about God, a false picture, a false understanding of God, and then you would worship that false understanding? What would that be called? Idolatry. Worshiping something other than the God that's revealed in Scripture and then through the person of Jesus Christ. So we want to know the truth about God. We want to know not just know about, but know the one true God who is revealed in his fullness in Jesus. And that's the reason we're here today. Now, we've other, in, the, in the process of that, what? We sang songs. We, I showed off a baby. We, took, we, we worshiped through giving. All these things are part of that shaping us to know the one true God who is revealed through the person of Jesus. Now, I just sense that the Lord wants me to help us to, to reinforce that as a church. And I want to do it in a certain way over the next number of months. To help us do this, um, to be shaped properly, we're going to spend um, a while in the Gospel of Luke. And we're, doing, we're going to look through Luke on purpose. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke because Luke is different than the rest of the Gospels. Luke is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And he takes great care in telling us who Jesus really is. Now, does anybody remember what profession Luke had? He was a doctor. 
He was a doctor. He was an intelligent man. He was a well-educated man. He was also a ministry partner of the Apostle, of the Apostle Paul's. He was this Gentile, so he didn't have a Jewish background. And he came in as an investigator, empowered by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, an investigator. And Luke wrote his gospel as a way of telling all of us, but in particular a man named Theophilus, the truth about who Jesus really is. So that Theophilus and us would be worshiping the real image of who God is revealed in the person of Jesus and not just some concoction of our own thinking, of our own mind. So what did he do? He investigated. He questioned. Matter of fact, the one thing that Luke talks about all the time is that he looked for eyewitnesses. He said he talked to the people who saw it. And we'll see this in the thing. He constantly is talking about the individuals involved in the stories that other people don't mention because he's letting us know those were eyewitnesses. They saw what really happened. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to do something a bit different as we go through Luke together this time. And, and I'm saying this from my perspective, it's going to be impossible, but with God, all things are possible, right? We are going to cover 24 chapters in 24 weeks. Some of you are going, oh, praise God. I was looking at how long Luke was, and if, if, if we took two years in Ephesians and five chapters, Luke will take us till Jesus returns. Um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. I really felt like what God was trying to have us do is do more of an overview to get the big idea of who God is. And, and, and Luke's just given his picture of here's who, here's who God is. Here's how Jesus reveals him. Here's how the people involved that respond to that. And so we're going to take 24 weeks, and we'll take some breaks in the middle for other events, but 24 weeks to do 24 chapters. So it's also going to give you another opportunity. Now, week one, you didn't know this, but starting today, every week, simply read the next chapter. That was another reason I wanted you to do that. So that when you come in next week, you have read chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you're saying, well, what's God saying to us through chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke about about who who the Lord is? So that every week we can kind of be on track with each other and we can all be learning together. It's just not me downloading something that I learned in my Bible study for you, but you're also engaging with the Scripture before you come. That makes sound like a plan? So as we begin, I'm hoping that our eyes will be opened to see Jesus more honestly, more clearly, and that we will be shaped and changed in the process. And so let's, let's ask the Lord if you do that. Let's pray together. Father, here's our hope, and we're looking to you. Would you help us to come to see you in all of your truth? in all of your glory, in all of your reality. Help us to see who you are more fully, to know you, to interact with you more really. And Lord, to be changed, to be molded in the process. That we would be different in the process. So Father, now we give our hearts to you. We give our souls to you. And we say, would you shape and mold us for your glory, by your word and through the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here was what I was tempted to do as we started the Gospel of Luke. I was tempted each week, read the entire chapter. And we might do that some weeks, but these chapters in Luke, especially in the beginning, are really long. How long do you think it would take you to read, for me to read the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 to you? I timed it. How long? 
Seven minutes. I heard somebody say, did I tell you that? Seven, you're, you have a great mind. Did you time it? Seven minutes. And I thought that that seemed a little bit long to take seven whole minutes to, um, to read the chapter. So maybe there's some of the shorter chapters will do that. But let me just give you an overview. So you can hold your Bible open because I'm going to refer to different verses. But Luke chapter 1, let me just give you an overview of what's going on in chapter 1. Chapter 1 tells us about the time leading up to Jesus' birth. It tells us about how an angel appeared to a priest named Zacharias and told him that he would have a son who would be the forerunner or the person telling everybody that the Messiah was coming, that Jesus was coming. Chapter 1 tells us how Zacharias questioned how that could be true for a reason. How can I have a son? Because I'm old and my wife is old. It seems to be a common thing God does in Scripture. He tells old people they're going to do something they can't possibly do. He says, I'm too old. And so because he, was, he, was, he questioned the angel that told him that, the angel made him a mute. He couldn't speak until his son, John, was born. It tells us about his wife, Elizabeth, and how his wife, Elizabeth, who's beyond childbearing years, gets pregnant um, and eventually would have this man, this boy who becomes a man named John the Baptist. It tells about how the angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her that she would have a son, even though she was a virgin, and that the child would be called Jesus, the Son of God. He would save the world, people, from their sins. It tells about the time that Mary visited with Elizabeth when she was pregnant, when they were both pregnant, and how John, who was still in the womb, leaped within her womb when he heard Mary's voice because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what we see as we look at the big picture of chapter 1, all these events leading up to the birth of Jesus, there are some things that stand out as really clear as we look at the big picture. And there's three of them. I'll tell you what the three are, and then I'll explain them. These are the things we want to look at today from chapter 1. Number one, God is working out an eternal plan. God is working out an eternal plan. You're going to find the significance of that in just a minute. Number two, people are vital to God's eternal plan. And number three, the Holy Spirit empowers people within the plan of God. He empowers them to fulfill their part of the plan of God. So let's look at these. Number one, God is working out an eternal plan. Let me start with a question. Do you ever feel like your life is just a series of random events? Do you ever feel that your life is pointless? That you were born, you live X amount of years, and someday you're going to die, and we're all further or closer than that, although we never really know how close we are to it, but that there's just a series of events and life is kind of pointless, and you're just getting up, doing your job, going to bed, and it's a cycle. Anybody ever feel that way? Be honest. I do. You go, oh, pastor, you can't feel that way. I do. I do. There's a lot of times I go, does this even matter? Does what I do matter? You ever feel that way? I think we most of us do. Well, this chapter shows that our lives are never a meaningless series of events. What we see throughout chapter 1 is that God has a plan for humanity and that he is working it out. And he gives some really interesting ways to show how it's all God's plan and he's just working it out and that people are just part of it. So he looks in chapter 1 and he sees things like this. That an angel, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. 
and says something interesting. And he will hold the throne of his father, David. Now, what's his father's name? Was Mary's husband's name, Joseph, right? But not his not biological father. But she's remaking the, re- the angel's making reference to saying, not saying his biological father. He's going to hold his throne of his biological father, David. What's he referring to? King David, who was anointed of God a thousand years earlier. That was going to now, in fulfillment, there's always been a promise that somebody would come in the line of David and would hold his throne. So the angel's looking back and saying, for all this time, I've had a plan that someday somebody's going to come and fulfill this guy's, that this guy, was David, was, a, was part of my plan, but that I promised that somebody else is going to be part of his plan, and that all these centuries later, this person is fulfilling a part of that plan. He's telling her that he's part of the, that's in verse 32, that he's part of, of this long plan of God. God's plan was being worked out. But the angel said something else interesting in verse 33. The angel also said that Jesus' kingdom would have no end. So he says Jesus' kingdom is from way back there. He's from David. But he looks forward and says in verse 33, but Jesus' kingdom, the angel says to Mary, will have no end. That God is saying that his plan extends from one end of eternity to the other. What we see when we look at this chapter is the unfolding plan of God. We find in this, all of these things, every character in the story in chapter 1 are playing a part of God's foretold, pre-told story. And they're just, they're just, they don't know it when they are born, but they become part of the story that God has already have in place. Look what we have. We have the promised forerunner of the Messiah, John. God said in the spirit of Elijah, one's coming. The prophets foretold it. One will come and make the way straight for him, make the path level for him. They all knew someone's coming before the Messiah who would make the plan straight. And here we have the promised forerunner, John, coming on the scene. We have the promised Messiah. From, from the very first sin of mankind with, with, with Adam and Eve, God promised someday this descendant's going to come, this Messiah is going to come, and all of a sudden here he is. There's the promise that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And here we have Mary, who's part of the plan. An angel says to her, you're going to have a baby. And does she say, uh, this doesn't make sense. I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. And the angel says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the child you have will be the Son of God. All of these things are fulfillment of promises according to the plan of God. That's all chapter 1 is. It's event, it's person, 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 event, 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 all saying these are all in the fulfillment of the plan of God. Each of these events were part of God's working out his plan that he already had in place. This is something that should be very reassuring for all of us. It's knowing this. That same God still has a plan. Look at the person next to you and say, God has a plan. God has a plan. God is working out as a plan. Our lives are part of the plan of God. You're not an accident. The events in the news, the global issues, the local issues, these are not just random events. God has a plan and he is orchestrating the events of the world, including our lives, your life, into accomplishing his great eternal plan. Now, I'm not saying that everything that happens is by the design of God. That can't be true because that would make God the author of evil. 
Rather, I'm saying that God has a grand plan and a certain outcome he knows will happen, and he orchestrates the events of humanity, and he says things are going to happen, he makes things happen, and works through all these events and all these people to accomplish his purposes and his plans on planet Earth through humanity. And friends, when we honestly believe that, you can do this. Take a big breath in, and exhale, and you can rest. You can rest knowing that God is God, God has the plan, and you don't have to be God, and you don't have to have the plan. We don't need to freak out when we watch the news because it seems like the world is going insane. Sometimes it looks that way, doesn't it? If you just, man, if you're a Fox News junkie, which I hope you're not, honestly, I mean, I'm not anti-Fox News, I'm just saying, please don't fill your head 24 hours a day with all the events that are going on in the news. It'll make you nuts. It'll make you chaotic. Spend all your time thinking on things above. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3. Think on things above. Don't spend your whole life looking at all the details that are going on around you because it is crazy and you can't figure it out because guess who you're not? God. Look in the mirror when you go home today and go, oh, that's not God. You're not, I'm not. He is and he's working out his plan. We can rest in this. We don't need to freak out thinking the world's out of control. God really does have a plan, and he really is working it out. And we can look at the first chapter of Luke and go, look how clear it is. Luke investigated all this stuff. He's Dr. Luke. He's doing an investigation. He's talking to eyewitnesses, and all these things happen. And these things all happen according to the plan that was written by the prophets hundreds and thousands of years earlier. It's all a part of the plan of God. We clearly see that God is a plan in chapter 1. Do you see that? All these events. Now, I know we didn't read them, but you're familiar with them, and you can look at the events. I just described what they are. They're all foretold, and they all happen according to the way God said they would happen. That leads us to the next observation from chapter 1. It's this, that people are vital to the plan of God. People are, are integral. They're vital to God's plan. What we see in chapter 1 is that God uses people to do what he's going to do. Now, some of you might read, read this, and you're looking through as I'm pointing out verses, and you're going, but wait a minute. You mentioned this twice. The angel did that, and an angel did that, and an angel did that. He also used angels, right? We see that. But what did the angels do in every one of the stories in Luke chapter 1? They simply gave messages. The angel appears... Gabriel appears to, 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 to Zechariah, appears to Mary. The angel comes and says, hey, this is what's going to happen if you want to be part of it, really, Mary. Um, you're going to have a baby. Now, she had to say yes to it. But it's an angel was a messenger of God. They were messengers telling the people about their involvement in the plan of God. And then God goes, when they say yes, and accomplishes his plan through people. And look at the people that he uses. When I see this, this gives me hope. Are any of you in here maybe, don't raise your hand, but you think, you know, you're a, you're a cut above. You're, you're a, you know, here's the line of average, Ameri- or average humanity, and man, you're way up here. Well, if you are, you're in the, in the, in the uh, minority. You know where I am? I'm right there in the middle. I've always said this. I'm about the most average guy on planet Earth. 
They don't come any more average than me. And most of you are right there in the average with, with me. And what I see here, it's reassuring to me, are the people that God uses in his plan. We see he uses an old lady past childbearing years. No one ever knew a word about her before this story. She was a nobody from nowhere, and she's beyond her years, and she's even a lady who's, who's um, ostracized, or at least laughed at by her people, because she couldn't do the one thing that that culture said a lady needed to do, and that was have a baby. She's an old lady past childbearing years. Then we also have an old priest who was such a man of faith that when an angel talked to him, what did he do? It says he doubted. The angel says, guess what? Your wife's going to have a baby. He goes, that's impossible. We're too old. He says, sorry, angel. You just got the wrong. You got, you got this one wrong. Maybe you're supposed to talk to the other priest over there. He's, like, he's 25 years younger than me. That's That's Zachariah. He's an old priest who doubted what the angel said would ever happen to him. Then we got a poor teenage girl named Mary. They were all named Mary back then. She's just an average Mary. And God says, Mary, I want to use you. But I think the one that takes the cake from all of them was John the Baptist. You know why? Why is John the Baptist? He wasn't even born. He didn't do a cotton-picking thing to earn God's respect or love or admiration. He didn't earn it. That's what religion says. If I work hard, God will love me. That just disproves it. He's not even born yet. And it says, God says, I chose you. And it says, and he filled him with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. Look at the people he uses. You know why this is an important point? Because it says, people like you and people like me who are just average are vital to the plan of God. And it says that you don't, that what you do in your life does matter, even if you don't see how it matters, it does matter. It says that you don't need to be a superstar to be important to the plan of God. Your life is bigger and more important than you could ever imagine because you're part of the plan of God. Think about Elizabeth. Just some old wife of a Jewish priest that was looked down on because she couldn't have any children, but God says, sees her as so much more. He sees her as a vital part of his eternal plan. He chose her to give life to John the Baptist, who'd be a forerunner of the Messiah. And my thought is this, how often do you feel like Elizabeth in the days right before she finds out she's going to be pregnant as an old lady? Meaning, before anything magnificent happens. Her life was just as important before that. Two days before the angel appeared, her life was just as important to the vital plan of God. She just didn't know that she's going to play some part in it. How, how she'd play a part in it. How often do you feel like Elizabeth? You feel too old, too young, too whatever, fill in the blank, too short, too tall, too fat, too thin, all the things we say all the time. Too, 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 I'm, I, I can't be part of the plan of God, really. You feel forgotten, you feel looked down on, you feel unimportant. Well, friends, God never sees you or sees me like that. He sees us as vital. But you say, I haven't been part of something important. That's not true. Who are you influencing? Who have you influenced? 
what people. I just, I just read a, a thing today, and I should have brought it. I was going to bring it with me. It was from um, uh, McKay. Uh, no, not McKay. He did our missions thing last year for Robert McKay. And it was his newsletter. I just, you stuck it in my mailbox this morning, Mitch, and I pulled it out, and I read it before church. And it's talking about a lady who just died um, in the country of Georgia where the gospel was not, and she was in the 70s, got saved because communism tried to eliminate Christianity, and she was one of the early converts. And it talked about how this lady, there's a picture of her, what they called it, a babushka? My mom always called the thing, you wrap over in her head. This is a lady from the Soviet Union. You know, I'm thinking of look like a, think an old, a old wrinkled up Russian lady. And she just died. They talked about her life. How she was one of the, one of the stalwarts in the early Pentecostal church, got saved in the 70s, but, that, her, but that, that she was a pillar, but the way she became a pillar is she had a whole bunch of children. And all those children have gone on to do amazing things. Matter of fact, her grandchild is the, is the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in that nation. And all her grandchildren, a whole bunch of them, are doing magnificent things for the Lord. He was talking about the influence that that lady had in the nation of Georgia. Somebody that no one would ever know her name. And how did she really have the influence? She was a godly mom who raised kids who were doing something for Jesus. Friends, you, how are, you, you influence. You influence neighbors. You influence friends. You influence your spouse. You encourage people to keep going. And they're part of the plan of God. That is important to the plan of God. Elizabeth didn't know. The day before the angel showed up, she had no idea. She would ask her, are you important? She'd know I'm a nobody from nowhere. But God is going, you're most important. You're, you're, you're key. My plan won't work without you. Because you've got a part to play to make the whole thing work. We're important. The other day, oh, he's here. Jeff Scott walked into my office. Are you here, Jeff? Hi, Jeff. <laughs> he walked into my office, and we were talking. We were talking about all kinds of things, but we started talking about his grandkids. I told him I was going to, he stopped at my house last night. I said, oh, by the way, I usually ask in advance, but just so you know, I'm going to use my, use my sermon tomorrow. So we're talking about his three grandkids that he and Ginger are raising. And he said to me, he said, people have said to them a number of times in the last period of time they've had, I don't know, since it's been six months or a year you've had these grandkids. It's been a long time. probably feels like 10 years sometimes, right? And people will say, why would you do that? You guys, you're too old. You're ready to retire. Why would you do that? You should just be living your life and not have your responsibility. And he said, he says to every person who ever says that, kind of like, are you crazy? Me and my wife get to influence these kids for Jesus. He says, me and my wife are doing the most important thing on the planet. We're teaching our grandkids about Jesus. And the kids are doing great. They were just, some of them were just at camp last week. Drank way too much coffee and, and Mountain Dew, though. That's what you told me. <laughs> um... But when I asked you how the church services were, you said they were phenomenal. They were awesome. Spent a week in church. Never would have happened before. Except for a grandma and grandma, grandma and grandpa, who said, you know what? We'll open up our house to our grandkids because they're in need. Friends, that is being part of the eternal plan of God. That is being a key player in the plan of God. That is being an Elizabeth or a Zechariah or a Mary, or a John the Baptist, that is being a key player in the eternal plan of God. That's how God looks at us when we are available to him and we allow him to work through us to work out his plan. 
Now let's remember something. All the people in the plan that were part of the plan had to cooperate. Elizabeth had to cooperate with the plan. Zechariah did. John, John had to, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth had to get together in order to have a baby. They had to cooperate in the plan. John had to cooperate. He was born. He was dedicated to be a Nazarite from the day he was born. He could have said, forget that. Give me a bottle of booze. But he couldn't drink. Couldn't get his hair cut. And he cooperated in the plan. But as long as we, they cooperated, by simply walking in step with God during their lives, even though they didn't see the big picture usually, they were key players. And I guarantee you that most people, and these are just ones on the page of Scripture, never even understand how they're being a key player in the plan. We're looking back thousands of years later and going, well, of course, man, they're key players. At the time, they didn't get it. They are just living in step with God. And so, friends, we understand we are vital to the outworking of the plan of God. He's got the big plan. People are vital to it by walking in step with him. But there's another thing, the last point we got to look at that's super important. And it's this. It's not just about us. That the Holy Spirit empowers people within the plan of God or to do the plan of God. Let's do something. I want to read out loud four verses. We're going to read them together that relate to each people in the four um, the four people I've pointed out in John chapter 1 so far. So this is the first one from Luke chapter 1. Let's read it together. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, read with me, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Who's that talking about? John. Let's look at the next one. Ready? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Okay? Next one. And who is that talking about? Mary. Luke one forty one. Ready? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about Elizabeth there. And the last one, verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then it goes through a whole thing, he prophesied. So I was talking about the priest, Zacharias. What do we see in every one of these? They were all empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says in everyone, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they did this. The Holy Spirit came upon them and then this happened. Understand something, friends. It is no accident that Luke records this about each person because he's telling us an important truth. He, remember, Duke, Luke is Dr. Luke, the intelligent researcher kind of guy, looking for answers, and he's giving us details that the other Gospels don't. And the details he gives us here that the others don't is, look at every one of these people, the key to each one of their situations is they were full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. That's, he, points, he goes, look at here's the common thread in all of them. In order to, be, to, to fulfill the plan of God, Luke's saying, listen, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. God's plan, this eternal plan, cannot be accomplished by human effort. And friends, the church world has done an amazing job of trying to accomplish the work of God through human effort. But it cannot be accomplished through human effort. You cannot accomplish your part of God's plan 
by your efforts alone. Yes, you have, you're involved, but not your efforts alone. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Notice something about this. In all the situations of the four people in Luke 1, it was God's plan to fill them with the Holy Spirit. None of them begged God. None of them said, oh, you know, spent six days begging God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. They walked with God and were available to His presence and they welcomed the presence of the Holy Spirit into their lives and the Spirit filled them. And friends, this is really important for the church. God's plan for your family, for this church, for our community will not be accomplished merely by our efforts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit and He works through us. And we need to be available and open and receptive and hungry for the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is a life of welcoming the presence of the Spirit and being available for His activity through us. It's saying, I'm walking in step with the Spirit of God in my life. I'm saying every day, God, what do you want? When I say this, God, what do you want to do through me? That is a prayer saying, God, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do through me? Because Luke is showing that the active agent of God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the active agent is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who comes and works in our lives and through our lives to accomplish his plan. So to say I want to walk with God is to say I want to walk with a life that's open and and, and available and and, and hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me because I realize I can't do it simply by self-effort. And friends, the Holy Spirit prompts you all the time. We just don't usually recognize it. You know those times when out of nowhere, all of a sudden this person comes into your mind and the thought comes to your mind, I should call them or I should stop by their house or I should do this for them? Do you think that's just you? It's not. Before you knew Jesus, you didn't have those thoughts like that all the time. That's the Holy Spirit of God. As real in your life as an angel walking up to Mary and say, hey, Mary, how about being part of the plan and having the Messiah? The Holy Spirit's saying, Mark, why don't you call that person? I told somebody before church. I said, I don't know why, but your wife has been on my mind to pray for her healing. The last couple of weeks, I'm just every single day praying. Matter of fact, in our staff, I almost, I almost ended our staff meeting on Tuesday. They, they don't know it. I almost said, we're leaving right now. We're going to this person's house to pray. This has been, it's been heavy on my heart. Friends, do you think that's, you think you manufacture that stuff? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. You know that desire that you have? When I said this, when I said, you know, the most godly thing you can do is rock a baby in the nursery that maybe serve, help serve our, serve God by ministering to our kids. And some of you inside of you said, you know what? Maybe I'd like to do that. That sounds important. That's the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what we do. We go home and we say it to our significant others, whoever that is. I think we sh- I would like to do this. And they go, well, well, you know, then we have to get up earlier. Then how we can't go camping every weekend because we might be on a schedule. Blah, 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 all the things that could be. And you know what happens when you say the Spirit prompts you and then you say No. You missed out on being part of the plan of God, the empowered plan of God. What if Elizabeth would have said no? What if Mary would have said no? 
I know this. God's got a big plan. He's going to work it out somehow, but their names wouldn't be in the book. They would have somehow missed out on being part of the plan of God, the way God wanted to work it out through their lives. He wanted to bless them by being part of the plan. God wants to bless us by being part of the plan. I'm just saying this. Those thoughts, those promptings, those feelings that come to you when you're a person who walks with Jesus and you're saying, I want to be open to what God's activity in my life. When those feelings come, those thoughts come that says, you know what? I want to help. I want to serve. I want to foster. I want to adopt. That's more than likely the Holy Spirit because that's not the kind of thing people manufacture on their own. And I just say this. Do your best to try to walk out that plan. Do your best to walk in it because that's where the real life comes of being a child of God. A lot of being a child of God is the mundaneness of going through every day and being spirit-formed. Day in, day out. Getting up and spending time with Jesus. Spending time in his word. Day in, day out. Getting up, going to church, serving and whatever. Helping people, other people be formed. But all of a sudden, there's those times when this happens or that happens and it changes the life forever. And it, because you were in the position... And God's got the big plan. He uses you in his sovereign plan in a miraculous way. Sometimes we don't even know it. But friends, that's where the great joy of walking with Jesus comes from. We need to be open to the activity of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. We need to welcome the Holy Spirit to fill us and to work through us every single day as God is working out his eternal plan. Does that make sense? There's only one way we could end. And that's by simply praying and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, right? Let's stand together. And here's the deal. I'm going to pray on our behalf and all of your plans. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, but here's the deal. Um, You've got you to want to partner with the Lord. I'm just going to simply pray that God, we'd be open to the working of God, that, that we know this. We're, there's no debate here, right? God has an eternal plan, right? Right. God uses people in his plan, right? And the way he uses people is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? Right. That's just simply, that's the message of Luke 1. And you wouldn't be here today if you didn't want to be part of the plan of God. Not one of you got up and said, you know what? I hate God and I don't want anything to do with him. I think I'm going to get up and go to Portview today. It wouldn't make any sense. We're saying we want to be part of the plan of God. So I'm just going to pray a prayer, for, just a kind of a generic prayer for all of us. And then I'd say this. If you say, you know what, I just feel stirred by the Holy Spirit today and I want to spend some more time praying and saying, God, I'm open to you, I'd encourage you to come and find a place to pray and some, we'll pray with you, but come and find a place to pray. If you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Just kind of quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. But we're just going to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives today. So pray with me this morning. Lord, um, thank you for this really clear message we see in Luke 1. This really clear message from you, because you inspired Luke to write it, that just shows that you have this big eternal plan, and that you use people in the plan like us, just normal average people. There's some extraordinary people in this place too. You use extraordinary people. But most of us are average. And you, 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 we are not disqualified. Matter of fact, that qualifies us because it says that we're, we're needy, that we don't have all the answers and that we need the Lord and we know it. And then, Lord, we see that, 
that we need your power. Lord, that we need your reality in our life, and that's, that's you, your spirit. And so, Lord, for all of us today, for Portview Church, we say, come Holy Spirit, we need you. Come Holy Spirit, fill our lives, refill our lives, empower us. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we know that we're walking in step with you. Would you do something this morning? You just say, I want more. You just raise up your hands this morning as an act of surrender. Just as an act of saying, it's like this, almost like turning a cup upside down or turning a cup up and saying, fill me up. Just raise up your hands this morning to the Lord and say, Lord, I want, I want everything. I want to be full of your presence. Lord, look at us. Look at us, Father. Across this place, we're all just saying, God, we want to be full of your presence. God, as a church, we're saying we're open and we're available and we're ready. We're not resistant we're not angry. We're just saying, God, here we are, and we're available. And I pray, God, breathe on us. Breathe on us today in a special way. Help us to know your presence. Help us be filled with your reality. And Lord God, I pray this. I pray this is how we would know it. That when we walk in our everyday life, today and tomorrow, the days that follow, what would happen is that we would hear the whisper of your voice. Maybe it'd even be a shout, but we'd, we'd hear your promptings to engage in the plan. And God, we want to say yes to you yes to that miracle. And so, Father, you see our hearts. We're wide open to you. We're saying yes, Lord, yes, Lord.